Gracious Father, as we continue to look at the resurrection, the life that it offers, will you open our hearts and minds to receive this morning, to know our Savior better, to draw closer to him, and to follow him more faithfully all the days of our lives. We ask this in his mighty name. Amen. I invite you to please be seated. So as the weather has warmed up, I've had the opportunity to go into the backyard and to spend a little time with my kids doing some sports. And the other day, we were playing baseball. And as I threw the ball, my son swung and wasn't even close. And he swung again and wasn't even close. And it wasn't his fault. He's a kid. I remember being a kid. I remember... When the ball was being thrown for me to hit, I was so worried the ball was going to hit me, the thing I never did was watch the ball. So I held up the ball. This was the ball we were using, this little yellow plastic ball. And I said, keep your eyes on this ball. Just watch it. You can't watch all the things around you. You got to peep your eyes right here, your focus right here. Because it's the only way you're going to hit the ball, especially consistently. And so I pulled my arm back. I threw that ball forward. And he cracked that thing. Shot it out over my head. And my first thought was, yes, he got it. My second thought was, I'm so glad he got it since I was teaching him this lesson. It would stink if he missed. But he totally slammed that ball. And then he hit it a few more times. When we keep our eye on the ball, when our vision, our focus is where it needs to be, we can accomplish so much more than when we're pulled in all of these directions that often have nothing to do with hitting the ball. We've been talking about vision for the last couple of weeks. What is it that gets in our way of seeing Christ And then what can help our eyes be opened? This morning, we want to talk about where our focus needs to be. I invite you to go ahead and open your Bibles again to Luke chapter 24. You'll find it on page 1508. Luke 24 on page 1508. Love for you to follow along with me. So we're going to do a little background here as we walk through these first few verses, which will lead into this idea of where do we need to be focused. Verse 36, while they were still talking about this, what that's in reference to is the 11 disciples were already told by the women, the Lord has risen, but they don't believe them. They think they're crazy. In Greek, they think they belong in a nut house. Peter still goes and looks just to kind of make sure, and he sees the tomb is empty, but he doesn't know what to do with it. And then they've come back. Well, then we meet those two disciples. Last two weeks, we studied their story. They end up seeing Jesus as he breaks the bread, and they go, it's the risen Lord. Those two disciples have come back. They walked the seven miles from Emmaus back to Jerusalem. 
and now they're talking to the 11 while they're still talking about this. So now the 11 have two more people to come and witness to them, to say, we've seen him, he's risen. And in the midst of that conversation, this happens. Jesus himself stood among them. Now we know in the Emmaus story, he breaks the bread, they go, it's him, and then he disappears. Now it looks like he just appears. They're all standing and they're all talking. We've seen him. That can't be. All of a sudden, and then he's there. And this is his response to them. He said to them, peace be with you. Now, as good Anglicans, we recognize that phrase. Because we say it every Sunday. You know, May the peace of the Lord be always with you and also with you. That is a relatively standard greeting. But... Jesus made it anything but ordinary. Before he goes to the cross, in John's gospel, he says to his disciples, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives. And what he means by that is, how many of you have found, and don't answer too quickly, how many of you have found peace in the world? The answer should be every one of you. We have all found peace in the world. But how many of you have found peace that lasts in the world? Nobody. Because the world is always going to let you down at some point. There's always going to be something you can't overcome, something you can't control, something that brings all the anxiety. Jesus comes along and he says, I'm not giving you that peace. I'm giving you mine. If you belong to me, I want you to name one circumstance I don't control. Can you rest in that? How much anxiety do you have because you have felt like you're not good enough, you failed too many times, and yet I give you perfect forgiveness and eternal life? How many times have you been in a situation that you thought, I don't know how this is going to turn out. I don't know what my future is going to look like. And Jesus comes along and says, this is your future. It is with me, and it is that Revelation passage that Chelsea read, where there will be no more pain, no more tears, no more sickness, no more death or darkness. My peace I give to you, something that cannot be overcome. So when he says this, it's more than just like he showed up to go, peace be with you. He knows they are struggling. He's fully aware of it. And he shows up and he reminds them, I give you my peace. How do they respond to it? Verse 37, they were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. They do not get his peace. They aren't ready. Their faith isn't ready. Instead, when he shows up, and they've had now multiple people say, he's alive, he's risen. And yet when he shows up in their midst, it's fear, not faith. That's what they see. This morning, I want to tell you two things about faith. The message is called the thing about faith. And it's where our focus needs to be. It's the ball we need to be watching. Two things about faith. Right? The first comes from what Jesus does. Watch this. Verse 38. He said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? First thing he does 
is ask them a couple of questions. Questions intended to focus on their struggle. Let me help you think through what you're going through. Here's a couple of questions for you. But then he keeps going. Verse 39, look at my hands, look at my feet. Did you know that the resurrected body of the Lord Jesus Christ that he will have for all eternity still bears the marks of his crucifixion? Someday you will see Christ and you will see some of what it cost for you to see him. He says, look at my hands and my feet. It is, my, it is I myself. And then touch me. See, a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and he showed them his feet. And while they still did not believe, right, there is still this part of them. Now it's starting to shift. It was nothing but fear. Now it is shifting. It is because of joy and amazement. Now they're going... Can, can this be? Can this actually be happening? I, I, this can't be real. Have you ever had something so good in your life that you're like, this can't be true? This can't actually be happening. So they're still wrestling with this lack or, or per, imperfect faith. They still don't believe, but it's shifting some, and Jesus keeps going. Do you have anything here to eat? All right, so you've seen my hands, you've seen my feet, you've touched me, but let me just show you. Ghosts don't eat fish. Give me some fish. He gets some broiled fish. They give him some. He took it. He ate it in their presence. So again, the point is, look, I am real. I am not a ghost. I have come back. He's still not done. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. He is now reminding them, remember my words. And I don't think it's an I told you so. We've all had that done to us, and we've probably all done it. I've told you so. That's not what he's doing here. Remember, remember what I said to you. This shouldn't be a surprise. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. Verse 45, he's not done. Then he opens their minds so they could understand the scriptures. And he told them, this is what is written. Now, what he's about to say, he has already said this to them at least three different times on three different occasions. Do you ever get tired of repeating yourself? If you're a parent or a spouse, the answer is probably yes. You get tired of repeating. Here he is, repeating himself at least for the fourth time. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in, the name of, to, in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Here's my first point. The thing about faith, it does not have to be perfect. Faith does not have to be perfect. How do we know this? Because Jesus does not respond to their imperfect faith with condemnation or judgment. He doesn't get all ticked off at them and go, what in the world, guys? I mean, I've done so much for you. It's been witnessed, talked about, all this stuff. What is wrong with you? He does not sound like I sound when I'm talking to my dog when the dog has peed again in the house. He does not sound like that. 
our faith does not have to be perfect because our God is patient. And you see his patience throughout this whole text. Here he is slowly walking them through, step by step, a few questions to get to the heart of their struggle, physical, look at me, eating, reminding them, stating again what he's already told them. He is so patient with them. Our faith does not need to be perfect because our God is so patient. Aaron and I both went to the University of the Pacific in Northern California for undergrad. She went because of a particular professor. She was studying violin performance, and she went to study under Dr. James Stern. I went because of a girl. She had a better reason. Her professor, Dr. James Stern, he was a, not just a teacher, he's a professional musician. He led this conservatory for violin, and it was the person that Aaron chose to move from South Dakota to California, away from family, to study four years with him. An incredible violinist, incredible teacher, very successful in his career. I always wanted to play violin. He let me take a year of lessons from him. Now, Sandra, who's also professionally trained, just went, whoa, (laughs) because Dr. James Stern didn't teach beginning violin players, especially adult violin players. He taught those that would go on to potentially be professional violin players. Now, I know that a portion of the reason that he took me on was because of Aaron, He was being kind, and Aaron was an exceptional student. But he took me on as a student. And there were points in lessons where I knew he was not sure how to even communicate to me. I was so ignorant, and he was so far removed from teaching people of my ignorance that he's like trying to figure out, I don't even know how to say this to you. One time... Oh my gosh, I was so naive. I had a computer program that let me write music. I thought it'd be really special if I wrote a violin piece for Aaron. You can imagine what that was like, but I brought it to him. He played it for me and gently helped me understand just a few of the 12,000 issues with it. But here's the thing. I can't remember a single time He ever got angry at me. A single time he pointed a finger at me in judgment. I just remember, even in his struggles trying to get through my thick skull, I just remember patience with me. Our God is so much more patient with every one of us. No matter how ignorant we are, no matter how imperfect our faith is, and we all know it's imperfect. But if you look through the scriptures, do you know what happened when Abraham began to doubt and his faith was wavering? God came to him and said, I want you to go outside and I want you to look up. Look at the stars. That, Abraham, that's what your offspring are going to be like. You know what he didn't do? 
Come on, Abraham, get with the program. You know what happened when Peter denied his Lord right in front of him? Jesus came to Peter when he had left the whole thing, gone back to his career, gone back to fishing, and he came to him three times. Why? Because Peter denied him three times and he gave him three opportunities to say, I love you. Our God is patient with our imperfect faith. Therefore, the thing about faith, it doesn't have to be perfect. If you are, and here's what I think happens the most often. Christians are so good at comparing to other Christians. We're so good at thinking, well, that person really has it. Or that person, they pray all the time. Or that person, they go to church all the time. Or that person does this. First, you just need to know that 99% of the time, you're wrong. That person you think has it all together, they don't either. There's a few. I I don't know who they are yet, but there's a few. (laughs) The problem is we're always comparing ourselves either to others or to our past. And then we judge ourselves and condemn ourselves when God isn't condemning or judging us. What right do we have to do it? Let him show his patience because our faith does not have to be perfect. Our God is patient. There was a dad walking through a grocery store and he came across another dad who had a young son with him sitting in the cart. And the young son was starting to get a little antsy and he overheard the dad say, Billy, it's okay, we'll be done soon. Well, as they're moving through the aisles, he happens to pass the dad again. And this time, the little boy is getting a little bit more antsy. And if you've had little kids that have gone shopping, you know what this is like. And you can tell he's getting more, and the dad goes, Billy, it's okay. We are almost done. He passed him a third time, and the little boy was really starting to climb out of the cart. And he thought, I would be losing right now. And the dad, through a little bit of gritted teeth, said, Billy... This is the last aisle. One more. We're done. Well, when the guy had left and checked out, he was walking his cart back to his car, and he saw the dad had just strapped in his son. And he said, I got to go tell this guy how amazing that was. So he walked up to him, and he said, hey, excuse me, sir. I'm, I'm sorry to bother you, but that was incredible. He said, your patience. I mean, I cannot believe how patient you were with Billy. And, and the dad looked at him. And he went, I'm Billy. (laughs) Is that not how many of us work through our own patience? We're good at self-talk. We're good at trying to work ourselves down. I tell you that because God never has to do that. I don't think we understand the great patience of our God. He doesn't have to use self-talk to not get mad at you. He is that patient. But Jesus goes on to say this, and this is where we'll end. Go back into your text. Verse 48. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send to you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Here's the second thing that he's going to say to them. 
I want you to be my witnesses. And please understand, a witness is someone who shares what is happening, who gives information to somebody else, who testifies to somebody. But it's not the one who has to engineer the plan. It's not the one who has to fulfill the plan. It's the one who has to say, this is what has happened. He wants them to be witnesses. And they know the truth. And by the end of this, they really know the truth. He has risen. And yet, knowing the truth is not enough. He says, I want you to go to Jerusalem and I want you to wait to be clothed with power from on high. Here's the thing about faith. It does not have to be perfect, but it absolutely has to be empowered. You do not have to have any kind of perfect faith. You can struggle with doubts. You can have moments where you're like, I'm just not sure about this thing. You can see somebody else act in faith and think, I'm not sure I can do that. But we cannot have unempowered faith. Imperfect, yes, but it must be empowered. Why? I'm going to have you flip to two quick sections in Scripture. I want to show you why it needs to be empowered. Turn to page 16. I think that's 23. It's 1 Corinthians, but I can't read my writing. 1 Corinthians, page 16, 23. But you'll probably have to look for 22 because 23 doesn't actually have a page number on it. 1623. Why does our faith need to be empowered? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, look at verse 18 down at the bottom. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. All right, keep that in mind. The message of the cross is foolishness. Now, turn to 1554. This is Acts 1554. This is Acts chapter 4, page 1554. Peter and John have been thrown into jail. They have been forbidden to preach the name of Jesus. Verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, this is the empowerment, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. There is part of the power of the Spirit working through somebody who is testifying to Jesus. Keep going. Jesus said, The stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John... And realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could not see the man who had been healed standing with them, there was nothing they could say. 
Here is why we need our faith empowered. We need the courage to share it, to be the witnesses, and they need the courage to receive it. Why? The message of the cross is foolishness. Hey, just think about it. His own disciples, when he shows up, what's their response? They're scared out of their minds. They think it's a ghost. They don't think he's been raised. Why? How many people do you know that have been dead for three days have come back? This is a message of foolishness. And if you're going to share this with somebody, you have a good chance of looking foolish. We need the courage to act in the power of the Spirit to share. And honestly, other people need the work of the Spirit in their life to receive that foolishness. Because there's a whole lot of rejection that happens. We need to have our faith empowered. So, the thing about faith, it doesn't have to be perfect. It has to be empowered. Have you ever seen a doctor's signature, if you can call it that? Honestly, I looked at my doctor's signature one time, and I thought, if I gave my cat a box of crayons, he could do better. It is so illegible. And yet, does the pharmacist care that the doctor's signature is imperfect? No. It still has the power to do what? Give you the medicine that you need. However, if I, and this would never be the case, I could write you the neatest possible signature you ever saw, which is really not true. My signature is terrible. My writing is awful. But if I could, it still does not have the power to give you the medicine. Our faith does not have to be perfect, just empowered by the Holy Spirit. So, this is my encouragement for you. Stop judging yourself. Get your eye on the ball. When we are looking over here and going, oh, but what about them? And oh, what about my past? And oh, I don't have enough here. We don't have our eyes on the ball. We don't have to have perfect faith. Let that sink in. What we need is to be seeking the Lord, saying, fill me with your spirit. What we need is to spend time with him. And then we need to do the same thing that's happening in the book of Acts. And this is the scary part that we need the courage for. Stepping out in faith. Sharing Christ. Either by sharing who he is. Maybe it's sharing his love in some way. But it is being bold for him and trusting that the spirit is working through you and working through the person you're sharing with. Our faith does not have to be perfect, just empowered. Would you pray with me? Holy Spirit, we are ready and open to receive your filling, to be empowered to have the courage to do what we could not do on our own. The Apostle Paul talks about how God is strong when Paul is weak. Lord, all of us know that weakness. Will you be strong in us? Will you allow us to put aside our judgment of ourselves and our faith and instead lean into what Jesus has done? Lean into the patience of our Father and be empowered by the Holy Spirit.
We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.